Susan Wynn, author of One Arm But Not Unarmed, was featured alongside Denzel Washington and Tony Robbins on Yahoo Finance's top 10 most influential people of 2020 list. But at the age of 22, Susan lost her right arm in a traumatic car accident. And when one day became Susan's day one, she took responsibility for her life and decided to be better, not bitter. In this episode, Susan and I sit down to chat through what it was like to have your life changed in an instant and how to come back from that. Let's get it. Welcome to Progress Not Perfection, the leadership podcast where we grow through what we go through. My name is JQ and I'll be your co-pilot. Each episode, we sit down with leaders to explore how they build companies and communities, products and services with a vision for the greater good. We dig into how they create clarity and chaos as they wrestle with messy situations and also how they navigate their own career journeys along the way. If you're ready, let's step to it. Susan, thanks uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. Maybe to get started, I uh, would love to just get an overview of who you are and what do you do? Hello, hello, Jay. So nice to hear your voice and to finally connect. Hi, everyone. My name is Susan Wynn. I am a published author of a book titled One Arm But Not Unarmed. I am a happiness coach and a speaker entrepreneur, your happiness chief encouragement officer. I like that. I have so many questions about the happiness piece later on, but I came across your profile on an online group where it just stuck out right away. You know, there's a lot on social media, but but right away, I saw your message about being one-armed, but not unarmed. And then you also have this piece around being better, not bitter, right? It all kind of stems from this incident where you're 22 years old, it's, it's 2001, and you experience a life-altering car accident. Uh, can you start by maybe telling us what happened? Yeah, sure. I will. I was 22 years old. My buddies and I decided, you know, let's let's go do something, right? We got in the car. We headed towards downtown, the three of us, Mikey, Noemi, and me, heading home. The weather was not great. It was raining. It was drizzling. And I was driving. On the way home, I lost control of the wheel. So the car flipped several times. I was ejected from the windshield. And my life completely change in the blink of an eye. Wow. Yeah. Well, right in that, I guess I've been in a pretty bad car accident, not to your extent at all, but where I hit a semi truck and thought for sure that like I was a goner. And there's that moment where you, you almost like for me, I like I woke up after hitting that semi and I don't think I've ever talked publicly about this before, but you're kind of just in shock, right? You're, You're, you're like, what? the hell just happened. And, and so what was that moment for you? Like when, when you came to, was that at the scene of the accident? Was it in the hospital? Oh man, I was in complete shock, you know, laying on that ground. I remember like I was looking up and it was a bright light above me and it was dark. It was slightly drizzling. Right. And I was on the cement. I could hear 
people sobbing and screaming and just jumping up and down and everyone was just completely freaking out. And I remember my friend asking me, Susan, are you okay? Are you okay? And, and I couldn't speak. I was in shock. My mouth was just open. My eyes were completely wide open. And although I wanted to speak, I wanted to blink, I wanted to say something, nothing came out. I was in complete shock. And that is a moment I could never forget. And talking about it gets me emotional. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. It was a crazy, insane moment. I was rushed to the hospital. And it's so wild that the doctors told me I, I was actually very fortunate. Because if the ambulance didn't get to me within like the next 60 seconds, I would have been in a vegetative state due to shock. Wow there's probably no coming back from that, right? So timing is so important to me. That's why I'm all, everything is about timing and showing up and being on time, being intentional because man, those 60 seconds could have turned out completely different for me. But being in shock was, it was horrifying, right? You see the people around you and you hear them screaming your name and you see them so sad and concerned and you want to tell them, hey, I think I'm okay. And I'm trying mm -hmm. to blink my eyes and signal to them, but nothing worked. Couldn't speak. I didn't have a voice. And it's so insane. But I talk about this in my book. But that was supposed to be my extreme, no doubt about it, most painful moment in life but I couldn't feel a thing. My body mm. was completely mm -hmm. numb. I didn't know that my arm was falling off. You know, I didn't know that I was bleeding. I didn't feel anything. I was just numb looking into the sky and hearing the ambulance sirens and hearing people screaming and shouting and jumping up and down. And that was a terrifying moment. Wow, no kidding. Your friends who were there with you in the car, were they okay? What what happened yeah, with them? Yeah, they were okay. Thank God. Noemi, she suffered a little neck injury, but thank God, you know, she was okay after that. Nothing too, too serious. Mikey, the front passenger, had scrapes and bruises, but I was the one that was driving and ejected from the windshield. So I suffered the most damage, I guess you can say, but fortunately they were okay. And uh, mm -hmm. I thank God for that. Absolutely. Yeah, no kidding. Maybe to take a step back, before this happens, where were you at in life? Were you just finishing college? Were you graduated already? Where was your mindset at before that accident happened? You know what? A little history about me. I always loved working, super independent. My first job was actually at Shipley's Donuts when I was close to turning 16, waking up at three or four in the morning, making that dough, right? So making that dough literally, right? <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> making that dough. I've always loved to work. I started college a little bit later. I was working at different corporate, uh, different corporations. I was in the oil field working as a training coordinator, finished taking some college classes, but that was just my journey, right? I knew college was good for me and I was taking classes on and off, but the independence in me, I always loved to work. So I was working two to three jobs at the age mm -hmm. of 18. That was just my mindset. So I was working and I was taking classes as well. So that's where I was at during that time. That's what I was doing. And you know, when I think about myself at 22, often 
or even now, no idea about where I'm, I'm heading and where I'm going. And, and I have ideas, but it's not like I have a, there's a clear path. So we just kind of figure out what we're doing along the way. And so despite goal setting, out of curiosity, at that point, what were your personal aspirations? And this is before the accident. Were you looking to just gain as much experience as you could? Were you headed in a specific direction? Sure. So, you know, some of my aspirations, I wanted to finish school and go for a marketing degree, right? PR and marketing. That's my passion right there. I love helping build brands and all that good stuff, which is a really cool story we can talk about later, which I'm, you know, doing that for me and also potential other clients as well. But my passion was marketing and PR and really finishing school to go with that major. But I was just taking it day by day. I was 22. I was in love with my friends, in love with my family, just having fun and mm-hmm. carefree, working, making money and just doing my thing at that age. Yeah. And like you said, you know, we all have our own journey. We're on a path we're trying to figure out. At 22, I'll be honest, I was trying to figure it out as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most of us are. And then I guess part of the reason I wanted to ask was, maybe we can dive into that later on. But what was that? How did that those aspirations shift? What did that transform into after your accident? But actually, before we dig into that, maybe take me back to the ICU. You're in the ICU for quite some time. What do you remember from that? What what did that feel Ooh, like? You know what? Those were, I could say, the darkest times of my life. I remember going to the hospital. I remember they calling my mom and dad and I remember them standing at the end of my bed in the hospital in ICU and just full of fear. I may get emotional again. I'm sorry. <laughs> full of fear and just so afraid. And, you know, I'm their baby girl, right? I mean, out of five siblings, like five children, I'm their baby girl. I just remember their faces, facial expressions. I will never be able to forget that. But oh, that was hard. And you know what's so crazy, Jay? When my parents were completely freaking out, like, oh my goodness, saying in Vietnamese, you know, you know, like, oh my goodness, just freaking out. And I remember just trying to make them feel better by saying, it's just an arm. I'm going to be okay. And I remember Mm. saying that because my parents remind me like, I can't believe you just said, it's just an arm, mom and dad, I'm still alive. And I remember that moment clearly, but ICU was, it was hard. You think about Susan prided on her looks and was carefree and free spirited and just friendly and out and about and just doing her thing and bam, you know, you wake up and the doctor's telling you they had to amputate your arm. Like you don't, you know, your arm is gone. Mm -hmm. So being in ICU, trying to process those emotions and at the age of 22, you're still trying to figure out life, much less, you know, something so traumatic happening to you and you're going to look different for the rest of your life, right? You're born with two arms Mm -hmm. and two legs and Mm -hmm. you're used to doing whatever you do. And now it's like, oh my God, my world was completely turned upside down. Yeah. Which arm did you lose? The right or left? I read that it was... My dominant arm. Okay. It was your dominant arm. Wow. And when you go from two arms to one, I imagine that reality shifting, right? And in terms of how you approach the day-to-day things that you would have never thought twice about beforehand. What did you have to learn again? What was the most frustrating... I had to learn how to do everything again, buddy. I mean, it was a roller coaster of emotions because 
I was super independent, as I shared earlier, asking for help to tie my shoe or to help me do certain physical tasks. That was so hard. That was something I needed to learn Mm -hmm. how to do was, hey, it's okay. Ask for help. The people around you, your family, your friends, they'll give you a hand, LOL. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, you know, you have to have humor, right? You, ha- you have to be able to laugh at it. Oh, 100%. It took me years to be able to learn to ask for help. But going back to your question, man, it was so tough doing everything, like putting on my clothes, mm-hmm. putting on my makeup, curling my hair. Like those were the, the things that girls do, right? Even looking for clothes, right? Because long sleeve shirts, I haven't even worn a long sleeve shirt. I don't know in how long. And if I do, I have to get the sleeve Mm -hmm. hemmed up, right? My right sleeve. I mean, I was going through so much stuff emotionally trying to to process how I was feeling. I even know how I was feeling because there were so many emotions involved and not being able to process that took me to a really dark place that we can talk about later. But every single thing, I mean, just having one hand to do everything, opening a soda can, opening a bottle of water right? Or driving, writing, putting on my clothes, putting on my shoes. That's why I love slip on shoes, right? That's my jam. (laughs) Slip on shoes. Yeah, much much easier. easier. (laughs) But yeah, every single basic daily task was an uphill battle. Yeah, completely. Wow, that's, that's unimaginable. I when you described how independent you were yeah. pre-accident, you know, when you think about how hardworking you were, et cetera, I can definitely relate to that because I feel like I just moved very quickly, right? I, yes. I like doing stuff. And so for for you to be able to then go from that to slowing down quite significantly, right? Yes. The, the frustration, I can, <laughs> patience is not one of my strong suits. And so I feel like hearing that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would go crazy doing that. Yes. Absolutely. But you know what the funny thing is after, I mean, close to what, 19, 20 years now when I do stuff, my friends and family are like, you're so quick. You did that faster than me. I'm like, so I've learned to adapt very well. Like my husband's like, holy crap, babe. Like you're so fast. Like, and it's something you just adapt with. And it's something I'm proud of because heck yeah, that the Mm -hmm. first 10, 15 years, it was hard I was slower than other people, you know, and it was, uh, it took a lot of patience, but also it really frustrated me, but it just takes time to adapt to your situation. And once you're able to, you learn how to do things differently, but it's your own style. It's your own way. And you and I may be trying to do the same thing. And although I may be a little slower, I'll still get there. I'm just trying to, in the beginning, I was sitting back and observing people doing certain things. And then I would have to reinvent the way they did it to customizing it to how I would do it. So it was a lot of emotions, a lot of overthinking, a lot of planning Mm -hmm. ahead. Like I plan everything ahead and people always ask me, golly, you plan every second, but I do, you know why? Because I need to make sure I can do those things. I can have to like, I have to map it out Mm -hmm. in my head physically am i able to do that and it's just something that i've learned to deal with but also in a beautiful way i've learned that i can get things done most of the things there's some things obviously that require two hands and i'll ask for help but most mm-hmm. of the time now i'm like i can get it done i can figure out a way and when i do people are just like flabbergasted how did you do that and i'm like i, I have my way 
can't tell you. <laughs> you know, but yeah. yeah. Even in like setting up for this this interview, just like typing out a link and sending that to you. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like how typing one handed is significant. You know, it'd be a significant task versus typing two handed. And so even just that. You know what's real funny? I have to share. So I talk about that on one of my speaking engagements, but there was a person, one of my cousins and I went to a temp agency and we were both applying for a job. And this was after the accident. And I actually got hired on because my typing skills were faster than his. And he got so PO'd. True story. True (laughs) story. True story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. There's that Cat Williams uh, bit, that Olympian who had one arm or one leg and was running faster than everyone else. I don't know if you remember. Anyway, but wow. What was the first month? after the car accident like versus the first year the first month was horrific you know i was there are many moments where i didn't want to be alive i completely isolated myself well i was in icu for about three weeks right so that was a lot of time Mm -hmm. spent there i needed to get a skin graft from my right thigh to my arm to cover up all the the scarring right so i there was so much that needed to be done i felt like a lab rat, right? They're like testing for this and doing this and, you know, taking the skin from here and putting it on here and making sure, you know, it was settling fine. I mean, there's so many things going on. So the first three weeks was that. And then the first month was just horrible. You know, I didn't want to look in the Mm -hmm. mirror. I was crying every day, every minute, every second. My eyes were completely puffy. You know, there are many moments where I didn't want to be alive. I thought about just ending my life. So it was tough. Yeah. And gosh, when I think about how, you know, social media has a lot of the positive quotes, the inspirational quotes, oftentimes what's what's missing from that is is the realistic aspect of life, right? The the emotions that you just described of of wanting to end your life and then choosing not to the 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 frustration the anger the things that you just never had dealt with in the past that you're like okay now what right and so thanks thanks for going there with me i i really appreciate that yeah and you're dealing with all those emotions at such a young and tender age i mean how is that even possible right and maybe that's a good time for us to shift the conversation back to aspirations right so you're at this moment the first year's going to the point where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And how did you deal with that and move forward from that? Yeah. You know what? Being angry and being bitter takes so much work. It's so heavy in your heart. I started lashing out on people, on my loved ones. I started saying things in a really ugly way because I was so angry. And during that time, I wasn't ready to be vulnerable, right? I wasn't mm-hmm. ready to talk mm-hmm. about how I felt to anyone. Although I had, you know, great friends, I had great family, I had great siblings, I had great parents, and they cared for me so much and they wanted to be there for me to the best of their ability. But they've never dealt with anyone losing a limb before. Although I knew I had the love and support around me, I still feel like I still felt like no one understood my pain. No one understood mm. what I was going through, right? And that's depression. It's like 
I was going through major depression thinking, oh, everyone thinks they know what I'm going through and they want to be there for me, but they have no idea. And looking back in hindsight, man, they're trying their absolute best and I love them for it. But going through that, yeah, I was angry, bitter. I was just going through all of these emotions and I talk about this in my book and I'll touch it briefly, but this was my turning point. So being at home for such a long time, I decided, you know, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get out of the house because I was cooped up. I was depressed. I was isolating myself. I went out. I was in a situation where I let my emotions get to me. A confrontation Mm -hmm. broke out with a, a group of girls because I felt like they were kind of judging me for my prosthetic. I was wearing a prosthetic back then. I had to get a prosthetic. And and looking back, once again, it was all me. It was all the anger that I had, that I wasn't ready to be vulnerable. I wasn't ready to accept my situation. So I was lashing out. So I should have stayed my butt at home. But I decided to go out and I did that. Next thing you know, I end up in jail for an assault case. Wow. So okay. yeah, after being in jail and after going through all of that, I learned that anger doesn't solve anything, but it completely destroys everything. And looking back, Mm. I'm like, dude, I let someone manipulate my emotions. I thought it was, oh, they're judging me or they're looking at me. They're laughing at me. Right. But you know, in my head, I wasn't even in the right mindset to make a clear judgment. Right. It's just when I was going through all of that anger and bitterness and frustration, I lashed out and I'm not proud of it. It was really hard for me to actually share that in my book because that's like one of the moments that I am not proud of at all. But I knew I needed to be raw in my journey and be completely transparent. But that was my turning point. After that, I said, man, I need to change because I am becoming someone that I no longer knew. I mean, I was fun and outgoing and friendly and and down to earth and free spirit and care spirited. Now I'm walking around with my prosthesis and so angry and thinking everyone's looking at me or everyone's judging me. And I just wasn't used to getting those looks at such a, at the age of 22, your life completely changes. And then you go in public and everyone's looking at you. Can you even imagine how that mm-hmm. feels like? <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, I can't. So as, as you, you and I were talking right before this, and I have a prosthetic glass eye, and, and it was like, I can definitely relate. And I, I think one one emotion that sticks out to me in particular is, is anger, right? Where yeah. when people look at you, it's like, WTF are you looking at, right? Like, yeah. and, and there's this sense of, yeah. there's this spark where, where you just get so angry right off the bat. And, and to your point about not wanting to share about the assault case, because it was an action that you had totally regretted. It's interesting to note how once you start to share it, it almost, you start to let go of that anger in a way where you're at peace with it. Vice versa, I read online that you were certified in happiness, which is the complete opposite of being angry. What, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, no problem. I just wanted to tell you, I've seen your Facebook photos and I think you are absolutely beautiful, Jay. Oh, thanks, Susan. I appreciate that. No problem, hon. I'm happiness certified. So you're right. That's like completely opposite, right? Well, going through my car accident, I learned so much about myself. I learned who I didn't want to be. I learned how strong I was, how resilient I was, and how I can get through 
anything. I also learned that creating joy happens from within, right? Because if you asked me after the accident or if you asked me 10 years ago, could, could I ever be happy? I'd be like, heck no. I, I wasn't happy. I was sad. I was depressed. All of those emotions. But then I coached myself out of that ordeal. I coached myself and meditated and manifested so many wonderful things, journaled all of these things to coach myself out of that horrific situation. When you say you coached yourself and you, yeah. you talk a bit about meditation and journaling, what were a few things that really worked well for you in doing so? And were, were there specific questions that you were asking yourself in your reflections during that time? Where was the choice aspect in that too? Talk yeah. to me a bit about that. Sure. A couple of things that really helped me was being vulnerable, that being vulnerable and speaking about how you feel to those around you. I admit that since I was anti-vulnerable, that delayed my recovery beyond years. I wasn't ready to talk about it. So I was self-medicating and I was lashing out and I was doing all of these horrible things because I just didn't want to talk about my feelings. I didn't want to share with you how I felt because I thought you would think that I'm weak. But actually, in reality, and if you're vulnerable, that shows so much strength. I learned how to be vulnerable, which was very important. And another thing that was crucial was accepting my reality. This is me. I now am, am, an, am an amputee. And this is my mm -hmm. life. You know, this is my life now. I'm going to have to learn how to be okay with it, right? Really accepting my reality being vulnerable, surrounding myself with people that genuinely love me and that I love them and really reminding myself that I'm still loved regardless of my physical scar. And coaching myself, man, I decided after the turning point that I mentioned, I had a turning point after being released from jail. I remember it clearly. I was up crying because my mom and dad were so disappointed in me. I was like, oh my God, I really hit rock bottom. I mean, now I have an assault case hanging over my head and golly, I was just so disappointed and saddened. And I still remember crying all night until the morning comes up and I see the sun peeking through the blinds and it was like mm. 6, 30 a.m. and I'm still crying and I'm like, I need to do better. I no longer want to be bitter. This is eating me alive. And I know that if I don't be better, either I'm going to end up in jail again, or either I'm going to self-medicate myself to death. That turning point was for me to realize I wanted to be better. So after that, it took time. It wasn't an overnight process. It took years. It took a decade. But it was all about me reminding myself who I was, getting rid of those automatic negative thoughts. An individual has anywhere from, I believe, 24 to 65,000 thoughts per day. Out of those thoughts, 85% are negative and 95 are repetitive. So can you imagine how many negative thoughts I was having about my arm when I looked in the mirror, how gross I look? Like, who's going to marry me? Who's going to like me? Who's going to want to hang out with me? What am I going to wear? Like, all of my clothing. Like, I had so many negative thoughts. I would look at my old photos and reminisce, oh, man, this is how I looked and, and prided myself on how I looked. And all of that that I did 
held up my recovery. But when it mm-hmm. was time to let go, I started coaching myself and reading a lot and learning a lot about positive psychology and reminding myself that I'm still loved, surrounding myself with people that genuinely cared for me and just reminding myself once again, the automatic negative thoughts, because self-talk is crucial for your health. Oh, it's huge. Many of us probably don't realize that, but you know, we wake up in the morning automatic. I'm, oh my God, my hair is a mess and I wish I was thinner, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on, it goes on. But you have to actually acknowledge it and recognize it in order to really be able to talk back to those emotions. So there was a lot that came in play, just coaching myself, just what I mentioned, trying to do what I can to better myself in different ways, you know, finding something that you love to do, right? My thing was heading to the beach and listening to the ocean like that I get lost in that so we all Mm. need to find something that we love to do and hold on to those things hold on to those things and also another thing was just being in the moment you know feeling the love of the people around you many times we always look we look back you know, in the rear view mirror, we're like, man, how things were and how I looked and when I had two arms. Well, none of that actually matters right now. We're living in the moment. Mm-hmm. We're living in the present. Or I would be concerned about, oh, am I ever going to have another boyfriend? Am I going to get married? You know, where am I going to work? Like, who's going to hire me? Like all of those emotions. But when I learn to live in the moment and just let go of the past and the future, I try to do better for myself and just prayed, prayed, meditated. I learned to reframe my thoughts. So this is crazy as well. If you asked me during that time, what good came out of it, I would probably look at you like you're completely insane. But now I find the good out of the loss of my arm. I'm impacting Mm -hmm. people. I'm helping people overcome hardship. I'm able to spread a message of love and hope and healing. I'm just riding that wave right now. Yeah, there are two things that stick out from what you're sharing, and hopefully I don't lose track of them. One is you brought up repetitive thoughts, and and I don't think that really hit me until I started journaling, to your point about that. And I found that whenever I had something brewing that I was upset or angry about, when I journaled, I would actually just do a mind dump of what I was feeling. And if I did it over enough period of days, I would then actually notice, to your point, I would just keep on talking about the same thing. I got to a point when I was journaling where where I I looked at what I was writing about on a daily basis. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm saying the same thing over and over again, and I'm not doing anything about it. So time to change that and and step it up. Isn't that crazy? Our mind is just... So it's a powerful place and you know whatever thoughts we think of we consume we become so it's just so important to to truly surround yourself with positivity and to think good thoughts mm-hmm. and and to manifest and all that good stuff mm-hmm. yeah and, and i think on that note of positivity that brings me to the second thing that i heard from you was it's a realistic positivity right it's not like oh yeah i'm just going to be great today it, it's actually an acknowledgement of what was tough, right? It's like, hey, when I lost my arm, this is what really sucked about it. Yeah. And yet, despite that, here's what I learned from it, or Absolutely. here's what how I grew from it, you know? And so there's that, that dichotomy of both acknowledging the negative and reframing to the positive. So good, so good stuff. Such I a good content. That's not proper English, that first. <laughs> 
Tell me about your book, One Arm But Not Unarmed. And maybe what I'm curious about is tell us about what prompted you to write it in the first place? What was that writing process like? How long did it take? And maybe the why? I know that's like yeah. five questions in one, but I'll, I'll let you run with that. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's all good, bud. You know, the why? why let, let's backtrack. One of my buddies, Patrick Hubbard, he's one of my greatest friends. He actually kept on nudging me. We worked together at our old job. He nudged me, Susan, you got to write a book. Your story's amazing. I'm like, me, an author? I don't know. I don't know if I, if I want to write a book, but he wouldn't give up. And one of my biggest supporters, I love you, Patrick Hubbard, but he kept on insisting I write a book. And then one day I was like, I do love writing. I love journaling. I always love writing about my emotions and everything that I'm going through. That's not such a crazy idea. Why don't you try writing a book? So then I did my research, hooked up with um, one of a great publisher in New York by the name of Karen Strauss. She's actually published books for Martha Stewart, some some really amazing people. I decided to work with her. I wrote the book. It took about close to maybe a year on and off because it was such a hard process. I mean, talk about reliving your emotions. I literally had dreams of me having both arms during the process and would wake up in full of freaking tears because I realized that was just a dream. I was going through depression again, slight depression because I wanted Mm -hmm. the book to be raw and to be, be, and for me to be completely vulnerable. So I had to put myself back in that time to feel those emotions again, to remind myself of those experiences. I mean, when we go through something dark, when we feel something horrible, when do we want to go back and circle back and talk about it much less share it, right? We want to keep those things hidden. But I needed to step back during that time and feel those emotions, go through those experiences, remind myself of some really dark moments. So I was able to share that. But it took about eight months to a year. I'd say my book launching event was in April of last year. So that was really cool. The book is like on Amazon, Target, Walmart. It went international as well. It's in India and China. So it's a really cool feeling. It's just a short book, a short book about my journey, but most of all, my experiences, my valuable lessons, and how I wanted to share them because I truly feel that we're put on this earth. And if we go through something, and if we've learned, and if we have nuggets from those lessons, we should share them because I think it can mm-hmm. truly help people and not just people that have lost a limb, like my coaching clients, the people that have approached me from speaking engagements they haven't lost a limb. They've just been through some heartache, some hardship, some true adversity. The book is a good book for anyone to read. It's uh, motivating them to to be better instead of being bitter. And it's hope for people that have been through trauma that you can still be happy. But of course, it all depends on you. And you have to create that joy from within. Love that. What, what are you up to now? Oh, and I guess like when, when was that book launched and, and what are you up to now? Yeah, so the book was launched in April last year, and right now I'm working on a couple of things. So Patrick Hubbard and I, I mentioned earlier, we have been working on an overcoming trauma class. Man, we put our blood, sweat, and tears in it. It's professionally written. 
is professionally filmed and it is so powerful. I was reviewing the content a couple weeks ago and I literally got emotional the entire time thinking to myself, if there was something like this out after the loss of my arm, holy crap, I probably would have recovered a lot faster. Much quicker. Yeah, yeah, much quicker. Working on that class, we're working on it for over a year. We're about to launch it. It's going to live on B better university, which is really cool. Not only that class, but we're working on more content. We're going to have a library, a selection of classes to help people move forward, to be able to redefine hope and really overcome trauma and to really live their best life. So that's something I'm working on, a second book to mirror that class as well. So that's going to be exciting. Something really cool that I have been working on recently, SmartView Solutions and I, um, it's a great IT company. They're located in Houston, New Orleans and different countries. And I will be marketing for them and they'll be a marketing affiliate. So I'm excited. It's something new that I'm working on, helping others build their brand. And I've decided to link up with SmartView Solutions and some amazing things are going to happen in the future. So you should definitely check them out as well. That's awesome. Susan, your story is so inspiring. I am just so grateful and appreciative that you took the time to spend with us today. And and so thank you for that. Where can people find you? Yeah, sure. Follow me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under Be Better Ambassador. Facebook is Susan Winning. And a really cool thing is, oh, I'd like to share something so neat. So a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, I was featured as Yahoo's top 10 most influential. So that was really cool. I feel like I am just doing my best to truly help people overcome trauma and to remind them how resilient they are and to live a better life. But feel free to Google me. There's so much going on, so much I'm working on. I launched a candle collection recently as well. It's under Etsy, under Be Better Boutique, and a portion of the proceeds go to the Amputee Coalition. I am just trying to do so many great things. Oh, and something else I'd like to mention is I recently formed my very own nonprofit by the name of Be cool. Better Group. Yeah. So our mission is to promote individual growth and wellness to those impacted by life's challenges. So if you check us out, it's on BeBetterGroup.com. We have a virtual support group every third Wednesday of the month. All you do is check out the site, go to Be Better Projects and sign up. Man, I'm just excited for the future. I really am passionate about my message and helping others be better instead of being bitter. Love that. Susan, you're a powerhouse. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you, bud. Best of luck to you. Susan was so easy to talk to. If I had just met her, I could not have pictured her traumatic backstory. I loved her approach to be better, not bitter, and was definitely inspired to hold space for real, authentic conversations to take place. If you agree with me, share this episode on your social networks, leave me a review about this episode in terms of what stuck out to you, and until next time, keep swinging at those shrubs. JQ, out. Out.